Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and I think we have a game this week, maybe, (laughs) hopefully, I guess. As of right now, Texas and Baylor are going to play on Saturday. Maybe that changes. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know, but we'll get into Texas and Baylor, but boys, we got bigger issues to talk about (laughs) on this week's show. I said to close last week's show, prepare yourself because it's going to be one of those weeks, and goodness gracious me, was it ever one of those weeks on the 40 Acres. We'll break it all down here on the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz, and let me bring in the rest of the team that will be alongside me for this adventure. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire. He is our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. Yourself? I got to admit, I usually don't do this, but real quick, uh, over the weekend, uh, Saturday night, actually, I'm flipping back and forth between the ALCS Game 7 and uh, Alabama-Georgia. Man, a lot of stuff going on. My wife needs me to do something, so I hastily get up from my desk, didn't realize my phone charger, my charging cord for my phone is in the floor. I step on it, Rod, and it just happened to be pronged up, and the oh, damn yeah. thing broke the skin on the bottom of my foot. Ooh. So, And, and that, there's, there's probably not a worse place to get a cut than the bottom of your foot, because there's really not a whole lot you can do. Oh, man. It's going to take forever to scab. Yeah, and I didn't realize until Sunday that I'd, like, bled all over the hallway. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, those foot injuries. Yeah, I don't know. Got blood on the bathroom rug. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty rough. But uh, we march along, nonetheless, uh, a man who, look, he's had his share of broken bones and bumps and bruises. And, and those foot injuries, man, they do suck. And, and bloody messes throughout uh, his decorated football career. He is the third member of our team in our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. And guys, I said uh, it was going to be one of those weeks. It was one of those weeks. And I think when you boil it down to whether you want to talk about the eyes of Texas controversy, whether you want to talk about the product in the field, however you want to couch it, this feels like Tom Herman's days are numbered, and he is running out of time, and he is almost out of time to get this right. And I really didn't expect us to be here before the end of October, but when you have three games in a row like this program had where you can make the argument, hey, you're a fumble and a couple plays away from being 4-0. Well, you're also a miracle comeback and an onside kick recovery away from being 1-3 and right now. So however you want to slice it doesn't matter. 
But, Rod, I'll start with you. It feels like better than a 50-50 shot as we sit here today that somebody other than Tom Herman is coaching this football team in 2021. Uh, It seems to be trending that way. Obviously, things can change. I mean, Tom Herman Mm -hmm. obviously still can win a, a ton of games and surprise people. But it seems like the he's lost a moderate, um, kind of a moderate group in the fan base. The extremists, as I've always said, the extremists have always been fire Tom Herman after losing to Maryland. They're like fire Tom Herman, he's terrible. Well, there's it's like <laughs> and, there's extremists on both yeah, sides, and those are the extremists in the fan base, and you know they've been there for a while. But now I think kind of the the rational moderate fan, you know that he usually I think. Most of those people are, oh, no, 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 you know, they see the issues. They understand it takes time. They understand you got to build up to, you know, kind of a crescendo with the program. Even that person now, that rational Longhorn fan, when you talk to them, they'll tell you, yeah, I'm pretty much, my faith and trust in Tom Herman is gone. So when you lose that fan, that means you probably lost most of the fan base. And I don't know what that percentage may be. Well, yep. let's go to rational fan, Matt. I think you're very <laughs> hey, rational fan. You got that, one of those on the show. You're, you're very much in that group, you're Matt. Into stats and, and facts, and, and a lot of your a lot of your uh, <laughs> I know a lot of your thoughts on the program are are data driven and analysis driven. Uh, and I've Matt, I'll be honest. I, I don't think I've ever heard you just spout off an opinion without having something to back it up. I guess scale of one to ten, like where is your confidence level? If you can speak for the rational fans out there, what's your confidence level? that Tom Herman can turn this thing around. Well, and that's where I I sort of keep going back and forth in my mind about, say, turning it around or getting it, because it seems to be it has gone in the right direction, maybe not at the trajectory you want it to, Mm -hmm. and it isn't on the path, and And it's it's definitely not linear. But I would say the the worst thing about it is the indifference, sort of. like It's sort of like you're stuck in a situation during the season, and you know he's not going to be – a change isn't going to be made immediately. It's not going to be made during. Right. So you have to let it play out, but you don't like what you're seeing overall. But you, the results haven't been exactly what you assume, but it's better than before. It's an odd situation to be in. But it sort of has came toward the specifics around Herman. Just, I don't know, I guess I do have more of a macro approach for the season, so I haven't necessarily been in the weeds on it for every single detail and going back and forth, back and forth. But when I realize that some indifference is in my mind, in my opinion of Texas, then that's not a good sign. Because if I'm sort of indifferent about it right now and just be like, yeah, let's see how it plays out then that's not where you necessarily want to be as an emotional sports fan. And most people come to be an emotional sports fan. And if you aren't enjoying it or if it's giving you a lot of like questions about the direction and maybe things that you had hoped had been fixed but then now seem to be maybe popping up in areas and these consistent or just being inconsistent across the board and at all levels it isn't as if there's one alley I mean you have a pretty good offense but I think anybody with Sam Ellinger is going to have a really good offense you can have bad offensive line play you can have holes all over the place but like the problematic discipline stuff and the dumb mistakes and then just sort of those things that pile up and it's like well those are the things we were killing this former coach for and those are things we're killing this former coach for and they're still here so that means the problem isn't fixed even though you could say it's sort of headed in the correct direction not in the right direction though uh, Rod, uh, okay, help, me, help me find the term here. Um, I don't know what term I'm looking for, but 
when you look at the last two times we've been here, and, and this situation we're in seems eerily similar mm-hmm. to 2013, where, let's face it, I mean, we're at the point now where in the Texas market, people are openly talking about Urban Meyer, and we're 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 far down, oh, yeah. the hay's out of the barn. We're yeah. we're yeah. a horse, a horse is out of the barn, no. toothpaste is out of yeah. the tube, whatever analogy you want to use. Like we're we're down the road already. Yeah, there's no decorum anymore um, about oh let's let's not discuss that no, until, during the season. Uh, yeah, during the season, like now nah, he's that's how people have lost faith. They're just generally discussing another option. Decorum got kicked in the face when everybody was storming out of the door um, to to give their opinion on this. But this feels like we're exactly where we were following this program in 2013 where you got to a point in that season where the, the the message was clear Mac Brown needs to win the Big 12 or somebody else is going to be coaching this team next year mm-hmm. and I think Tom Herman is in a very similar situation but here's the difference between Tom Herman and Mac Brown and I even think oh. Tom Herman and Charlie Strong where do you want to start well <laughs> a oh, there's an a a difference it's in, in this situation I know we we don't have enough show time to get into right. what you're you're suggesting their rod but I'll, I'll, I'll look at it from this standpoint so when mac was on his way out we know mac had i guess political capital built up with some of the right people he had joe jamail and some really powerful people on his side and he, had the, he had the ear of bill powers and people in, the, in a position to make decisions and a label of legend next to his name at the school. Right, right. But just in the context yeah. of the power players making the decisions, how well are you di- dialed tied into those guys? Mm-hmm. Mac was Mac knew how to play the game. We, yeah. that's no secret to anybody, and that's why mm-hmm. things got bungled the way they did at the end. And then you had the whole banquet situation, and there's not definitely not enough show time to go into that deal. Maybe that's a, that's an off season topic. It's a whole show. But yeah, exactly. It was. That's, it has that, been. that could be a series. Of, yeah, it's been the the last the whole entirety of this show, I think. But at any rate, so we know Mac had, I guess, political capital rod, and that that's the right term I'm I'm using mm-hmm. built up. Uh, and Charlie didn't necessarily have that per se, but Charlie at least had two things working for him. He had a president and an athletic director that really wanted it to work out for him. And you had a you had a president get on a plane to go help him hire an offensive coordinator. Like that doesn't, regardless of how it got there. I mean, Greg Fenves could have said, "No, I'm not going to go do that. You're the head football coach. You go take care of it." But so you had, I think, people in charge that wanted it to work for Charlie Strong, and you had a fan base that, even though the vast majority of Texas fans by the end kind of had their opinions of Charlie Strong as a Mm -hmm. football coach, was the one thing we always say about Charlie Strong, right? Hey, such a nice guy. He's a nice guy, man. Really, really like, like Charlie Strong, just as a man, as a person. Mm-hmm. Like Tom Herman doesn't have either of those things he doesn't working the, in his favor. He doesn't get the nice guy discount, that's for sure. And he doesn't have enough political capital built up at this point. No, he doesn't hang out with boosters and donors enough. Especially because... He's, now we know he's not even friends with the athletic director. That's where I was going. Because <laughs> the athletic at, director threw him under the bus. This sounds now, like McAvick. <laughs> now, like literally we, all the things McAvick. sounds just like McAvick. As yeah. we sit Great here... Point. As we sit here recording the show, Tom Herman has not had his Monday press conference. So something could get said in that press conference that adds to the story. But as we sit here right now, what we know, Rod, based on what we reported at Horns 24-7, mm-hmm. what Chris Conte himself has said, specifically related to the Isaac Texas situation, it sounds like there was one narrative being built up that this was Chris Conte's fault and you know Tom Herman shouldn't be shouldn't have to take the blame for it. I think it was a narrative that there was both of their faults. Like it was both of them had equal culpability in it. Right? But then you get to the situation where what we reported at Horns twenty four seven where we had four or five coaches on the forty acres go on the record yeah. saying 
No, we had multiple conversations as coaches across this university with Crystal Conte. That was the plan. You had Eddie Reese saying this is specifically how he said to handle the eyes of Texas situation. Yeah. And is anybody going to argue with Eddie Reese? Sounds no. like this situation was, uh, had a lot of coach speak on a topic that shouldn't have coach speak when spoken about that's it a to great, public. That's a great way to put it, man. There should have been any sugar code. It should have been here. here's the deal. This is what it was. Sometimes when coaches get up to like just me from fantasy, I'll tune out a lot of guys because they're just sort of blowing smoke and like and aren't necessarily saying the details. Like, no, wait, we aren't talking football here. What exactly did y'all agree upon before the season? Yeah. So you've got that, and then you've got Crystal Conte coming out and telling Brian Davis, the Austin American statesman, even after he publishes Forty Acres Insider newsletter, like the contents. And I'm paraphrasing here, but the contents of that letter should not have been a surprise to any coach on that campus mm-hmm. based on the conversations. Yeah. So, Rod, what it all means is maybe the one guy who you thought could have Tom Herman's back at all this, the guy that gave him an extension a couple of years ago, the guy that allowed him to blow out most of his coaching staff and bring in seven full, new full-time coaches, mm-hmm. I I don't know how anybody could say Chris Del Conte and Tom Herman are on the same page right now. Maybe they are, but the, the perception is that they're not. So, anyway, you slice it – the. The only thing Tom Herman can do at this point to kind of pull the nose up on this deal is win football games. There's no, there's no safety net for him. He's he's got to win football games at this point. Yeah, um, it's 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 unfortunate. I thought he had learned from Mac. Obviously, he didn't learn from Mac. It's you know Mac was smart enough to bring the boosters and the donors to practice, and I'm sure after that he was hanging out with them and going to dinner with them and. You know, and him and him and um, and DeLos Dots were really close, right? They, you know, several times a week, you know, DeLos Dots was hanging out with Mac at practice, and he and Mac Brown, I'm sure, after practice, were hanging out and talking about big picture macros, things like that. That's Tom Herman's fault for not learning from the master, who you not only got a chance to be a you know grad assistant for, but also who was there when you were introduced on the 40 Acres. And Sin I'm sure it would have... The loss. Yeah, and the way Daryl K. Royal gave all the lessons to Mac Brown, right? About the BBs in the box. And by the way, the BBs are not back in the box right now. But all those lessons that Mac Brown learned from DKR about how to be the head coach at the University of Texas, how to conduct yourself, what's unbecoming of the head coach at Texas, what's expected of you at Texas, how many hats do you have to wear, and all this, those types of things. And how do you wear those hats? Tom Herman never learned those lessons from Mac. So I don't know whether it was just posturing to have Mac there up around him, and then he and Mac shook hands, and then it was just, all right, see you, or whether he actually leaned on him uh, for counsel. But he did not take those lessons to heart because if one thing we learned from Mac is – entrench yourself in the you know in the donor booster world you have to heavily entrench yourself you need to find out who the top 10 guys are and you need to be having dinner with those guys and drinks with those guys and they need to be at practice they need to feel like Tom Herman's my friend and I that's what got to the point where Mac Brown they had to bring in somebody just to fire him he was so politically, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He had so much pr- pr- prodigious clout, and he was so politically entrenched on the 40 because they literally had to bring in somebody to fire him. Hell, they wanted to bring in Oliver Luck, and Oliver Luck said, I'm not firing Mac Brown. That's <laughs> Mac Brown. You do Hell no. Like, that's how, how you powerful do that? Mac Brown was. Like, no, I'm not firing Mac Brown, no. I had to bring in an a-hole like OG Stevie P to come fire Mac Brown because nobody wanted to do it because that's how deep he was. You know what I mean? It's almost like Capitol Hill in Washington, how uh-huh. these politicians, how they're so heavily entrenched. Like, who the hell can get them out of Washington? You can't. 
You know what I mean? They yeah. got they, they know where all the bodies the are buried. Network. They got all exactly. They got the network and they got friends in high places. And Mac figured that out. He had you know the athletic director was one of his friends. Didn't want to fire him. None of the boosters and the donors. You had to go. They had to form their own kind of coup just to try to get him out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm saying how did Tom Herman not learn that lesson? Yeah, how is he not close with one or two, three, four? The you know. The big time boosters on campus. How is he not close to CDC? How are you not having drinks with CDC three times a week just to go hang out, man? Listen, man, we got to talk. And that should that should be the case. Like you guys should be that. You should be closer to him than any other coach because he wants to be closer to you than any other coach because he knows that you matter more than any mm-hmm. other coach. He wants to have his his fingerprints all over that program. And he wants you guys to work together. So the fact that Tom Herman has isolated himself to that extent, uh, that's that's him. And now it's just him and him and Michelle. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you got. Just your, you and your ride or die. You didn't learn your lessons, man. Hell, you were at Ohio State. I'm sure Urban Meyer had his political ties within that community. Yeah, I mean, you would think so because from what talking to people close to that Ohio State program, the way, I mean, it's just like any big time football program, right? Ohio State and Texas are very similar just in terms that? of the way the, yeah. the donor base is and how involved they want to be or, or need to yeah. be. And some you people know. will call it a, a cesspool. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I mean, Ohio it's where you're guys, living. It's, it's, yeah, you it's all, your environment. You need to yeah, be able to, to adapt. Be, I always say all politicians are corrupt because in order, the, the business of politics, you have to get your hands dirty in order to be effective. That, unfortunately, that is the cesspool of what. That's why President Trump got elected. Oh, I'm going to drain the swamp because we mm. all know it's a freaking cesspool. Same thing with Texas. We all know the way it is. We all know boosters and donors running. Hell, Jay Hartzell over there is so... Remember, there was a report that Jay Hartzell was at that meeting by some other uh, organization and Jay Hartzell, he went out to the media and said, I wasn't at that damn meeting. He's separating himself from CDC. Mm-hmm. He's got to throw him under the bus and go, well, well, CDC did this, all this. That's on him. Y'all guys know what I did. I did the right Think everybody applauded. CDC is over there doing something else, and he ain't got his coaches in the So he's still separating himself to this thing where he can always throw him himself under the bus, and that's what's happening on the Ford Acres. And by the way, just like it's a problem in Washington, it's a problem on the Ford Acres. You get to the point where the culture, we say administrations win championships. You get to the point where the culture is everybody's just trying to cover their own butt. All right? CYA, that's the mode everybody gets in around there. Even the coaches, to Mac Brown's understanding, even getting on him too. Yeah. Right? And top down, everybody, instead of doing their job, Everybody's too focused on keeping their job. All right. That's the focus. And the same thing in Washington. Instead of doing your job as a politician, all you focus on is getting reelected. As soon as you get elected, you're trying to get reelected. What about doing your damn job we elected you to do? And over there on the 40 acres, trust me, I've been over there. And a lot of that is I'm, everybody's covering their own butt. Right. Whether it be the president, CDC throwing his coach under the bus. And that's fine. He may deserve it. But my point is that, that you don't want that culture. That is part of why Texas has been um, lagging behind the last few years. It is a toxic culture over there. There's toxicity. Happening mm-hmm. over there. It ain't all. You say, you say Tom Herman ain't start all this toxicity on the 40 acres. No. Some of this, a lot of this existed way before him. And he is just a patsy. <laughs> you know, He's just comes a fall guy in a lot of this, man. I'm telling you. And then add the multi layers to it. And, you know, you brought up some great points there. And when you talk about not only do you have those three that you mentioned between Hartzell, Del Conte, and Herman, this isn't a situation like, say, in other situations where you have like a Mac and DeLoss with this uh, a relationship yep. together. You have, powers, you all have guys working three together. guys separate, all hired differently, mm-hmm. and they all come incrementally differently. Yep. So it's sort of like when you get to the NFL and like, oh, it's, it's not the GM's guy. Well, this isn't the coach's guy. And it's like you're nobody's guys. And that's sort of when you see the dominoes start to fall. It's the same reason why, like, say, a guy like Adam Gase hasn't been fired from the Jets because, like, the previous GM and him and then the new yeah. coach, they weren't on the same page. Now, once you get these all 
independent of one another, you can all be looking out for your individual sake and not necessarily be on the same page. And you aren't even with the guy that necessarily you want and you didn't hire into it. And then when you get to the fact that you brought up Mac and Mac's relationship at the time with Delos, and if you go and look at the way the timetable played out, I mean, it sounded crazy at the time because back in the day, 10 wins was big and Mac had been improving the program in 99 and Mm -hmm. in 2000. But if he doesn't have those relationships with boosters and doesn't have that oh, relationship yeah, with the right. loss, he doesn't make Mac it. Does, maybe he doesn't, doesn't make it to 04. He doesn't Mac, make it to 05. You know, Makovic's a plum example. He exactly. won two championships and didn't make it. He lost because he was an a-hole yeah. and nobody liked. He won the Big 12 <laughs> in 96 and 97, 4-7, you're out. And then the thing that happens with Mac, I mean, if Mac doesn't have those relationships formed because there was a really big battery group that when you had Barnes show up, when Mac showed up, and then the loss, and then you had this, it was this whole seemed like athletic program even with Augie had showed up and it was at the same time they were growing together and this situation totally different because you have new president you have new AD you have no relationship so if you even have because I mean at first you wanted Charlie Strong situation we just want a football coach well got a football coach and that's not what everybody wanted everybody wanted more than just a football coach football coach that didn't win though exactly football coach that would just win so but what did Herman do Herman showed up and wanted to maybe be that guy you they you envisioned he would be that guy but he it's almost as if he went just all football and he's just been worrying about football and ain't worrying about anything else in these and it's a very he had it set up for him he had mac in the front row with the loss with sally giving him a hug and a kiss him like he was a baby when he showed up to get the job and i was like oh wow they're all the bbs are back together all that stuff and then it's like he just went into his like little football hole and has not came out to do anything else and then if the football Football, though, if they, if you do that and you win, you win, and they let you have Nobody your your saving, you do whatever you yeah. want to do. But if you don't, and then you don't have these relationships, you don't have this longevity, you don't have this power dynamic between you and your colleagues that works well. All those things aren't there. Then it gets really easy to just what change one thing and try to be able to form that chemistry, especially when, say, you have this AD and this president that weren't guys that came and handpick them. Now, you knew CDC and Herman talk well of one another, but, you know, they've been independent forming their careers other spots. You don't have the many years formed up the way Mac did that bottom that time to be able to go through all the talks of 02, 03, 04 to survive, even though 04 people wanted them out after that Oklahoma game. And then you're able to hold on just enough. 405. Yeah, to your point, Matt, if Mac didn't have that political capital built up, think back. Let's not, this isn't revisionist history. Like, he might not have survived the 03 season. You have the 65 13 lost to Oklahoma, and then you lose that Holiday Bowl to Washington State. Like, you. 03 felt just like 12 when that happened. The blowout in 12 with Oklahoma with Mac again, but that's how it felt back in 03. Yeah, there's a chance he doesn't survive that. But here's the, the, the difference, right? A, a difference, I should say. I keep saying the difference, but it's a difference. <laughs> you know, you think back to I think back to when let's look at when Charlie Strong got the job, right? And Charlie and I never had this conversation, but this was implied by people close to the program, and you could kind of get this vibe. You know, Charlie didn't schmooze with the boosters. He wasn't really. I don't know if there's any single reporter that he was really tight with or anything like that. And I think because Charlie had the mindset of, look, if I don't win games, they're going to fire me anyway. He's right. So I'm not going to waste my time dealing with all that. That's a good point. It seems like, though, Rod, Tom Herman's approach has been, I'm going to win, so I don't need to concern myself with any of that. And he did, 2018. Right. So I forget. I think that's what 
that's what changed everything for him. He was probably but, like, yes, yeah, so everything confirmed. My beliefs were right. And then that's probably when he went down a, the bad rabbit hole. But the downfall for Charlie Strong and where it looks like it's headed for Tom Herman, unless things just take a different trajectory than where they're on now. We've had this conversation many times, and I've said this. You can look back. You know, I think about programs like Michigan, Tennessee, Nebraska. You can even look like Ron Zook at Florida. Mm. Some of the coaches USC's run off. When it doesn't work out for a head coach at a blue blood program, you usually trace it back to two things. And I think we're seeing both of those play out. Number one, a lot of it goes back to the initial staff you bring in. Yeah. And here we are in year four. And you and granted, Herb Hand was not part of that initial staff. He was added when you could add the tenth assistant. So if you want to include Herb Hand, that's fine. But of Tom Herman's initial hires, there's only three left. Herb Hand, if you want to include him. Stan Drayton and Oscar Giles. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Everybody else has either been fired, what replaced, what have you. Oscar Giles is when amazing. You're, He's when, just you're in your, when you're in your four, while, when you're yeah. in your four rod and you're having to make that many changes, not because guys are getting promoted and getting other jobs, but because you decide you need a reboot, that's usually an indication you did a bad job with your initial staff. I agree with this. The second thing is that usually dooms a coach at a blue blood program is you don't understand the environment. And the, the the nuances of the job, or the magnitude of it. And yeah. when you look at when Mac, I just talked about you know Tom when Tom Herman gets the job, like Matt, Matt laid it out perfectly. Like it, it's everything seemed good, and it was almost like yeah, it was all a sham. Just go in the, the the hole and start coaching football, whatever. But when you look at when Matt got the job, and you guys feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just me trying to think back to to the winter of 1997. It really felt like Mac got to Texas and started just asking questions. Well, what's wrong? Why is it not working here? What what needs to happen? What needs to get fixed? What do we need to do? And it was, okay, you need to get Coach Royal back involved. You need to get the Letterman back involved. Got to upgrade facilities. Rod, you talked about in your recruiting pitch. We're a Reebok school. No, we, we've got to be a Nike school. We've got to be on the cutting edge of all this stuff. And Mac worried about – and I know the Nike thing seems like a minute detail, but – it, it all of those things added up to, and part of that was who do I need to talk to, who who, who do I need to know on a first name basis, who do I, in terms of just the donor base and the alumni base. Mac Brown understood what it takes to not just win at Texas, but to survive and have longevity at a place like Texas. Mac understood that, and Charlie Strong really didn't waste his time with it. And it seems, Rod, to to the point you made earlier, Matt, the point you made, it just seems like Tom Herman either didn't get it or thought it wouldn't matter, one yeah. or the other. I don't know. Some people, it almost like he mocks it at at times, especially the Oklahoma Texas thing. You know, it was just weird. You know, your fourth year to do to say that you can't. You can't <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like your first year. We get it. All right. I mean, you just you, know, not, you, know, you hadn't been immersed in the culture. You've been head coach here for. You know what I mean? For four years, you played Oklahoma five times. See why you've been here? Yeah, you were. What the it's hell? a situation where it's that, you you would, to your point about the little things that add up, and it's like, dude, what? You know what I mean? That's that's, and I know it sounds crazy, but it is one of those. It's one of those things like Mac Brown, those little things that he believed were important about the perception of the program and stuff, things that are unbecoming of the head coach at Texas. And it's like, even it, though you say you don't care, if personally you don't care, ex- if everybody else ex- in exactly. your base cares, just at least be respectful yeah, of, of it, it or acknowledge yeah. it. And yeah, that's kind of Possibly for yeah. something so minuscule, or it can 
piss off the whole fan base. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, but you, you talk about it. Urban Meyer doesn't. I think he doesn't use the use M or something weird like he that. Where the week he plays Michigan or yeah. something. He doesn't say Michigan. Doesn't say Michigan. You, yeah, when he was at Ohio, right? when he was the head coach at Ohio yeah. State, you never heard he him say that. It was equal. always that school up north. Yeah, like I mean, and I know people think it's silly, but dude, for you know Ohio other, State fans, you hear about that other, means a lot to them. The other thing he did, <laughs> yeah. which I did, I didn't know about this, and I'm guessing it's true because I've heard it from enough people now and, and published reports and otherwise. Like media members covering Ohio State, if you wore like a a Michigan blue polo shirt or shirt, oh, he'd call guns, you out. He'd call you out on it. Yeah, <laughs> like that's awesome. Yeah, that that but that's how that's he's endearing how, himself to fans. Though he's yes. saying, "I'm one of you." Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one of us, one of us. <laughs> right from Wolf of Wall, one of us. That's all Longhorn fans want. Yeah. One of us, one of us. And right now, Longhorn fans don't feel like he's one of us. Nope. One of and Isaac Texas is another example. What, this, why do they love Sam Ellinger? One of us. One of us. That's all we want. You want a coach that's one of us, and he's not right now. Seems like an outsider. Yeah. It, it's strange. But, guys, in the, in the time we've got left on the show, let's go ahead and get into the on-field product. And, Rod, I, I know you've got some numbers that you want to share and that you need to share in terms of you – know, we talked last week about – kind of what we were, what has surpassed our expectations, or, or what about this team has surpassed expectations, whereas Texas failed to meet expectations, yeah. what were we wrong about, what were we right about? And, Rod, I'll start with you because we had major concerns about this receiver group going into the year. And a yeah. lot of those concerns have now been justified because Tom Herman comes out after the Oklahoma game and says one of their biggest issues on offense is they got receivers who can't get off press coverage. We, it's terrible. But th- I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but Rod, this goes back to your point, the point you always make. Tom Herman's terrible at self-scouting. Like, the three of us on this podcast, we don't get paid to evaluate the personnel in this program. We knew they had receivers that were going to have problems getting off press coverage. We knew it was going to have to be a deal where, hey, you're going to have to scheme these guys open. You don't have Colin Johnson or L.J. Humphrey or Devin Duvernay that can just go out and get theirs. You're going to have to help these guys. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, Rod, they haven't helped them. They don't. Um, they haven't understood their personnel enough. They haven't. I will say that. I I believe it's more about adjustments because when I, and I, and I you know self scouting I guess you could, it depends on how you want to use the term. To me, self scouting is. Oh <laughs> Sorry, a dog's just staring dog at me. Staring I had to look and smile. Self scouting is issues that exist over a long period of time, right? That are systemic then that means you're bad at self-scouting, right? He's bad. For him to go into the season thinking they were going to be a good tackling team, terrible at self-scouting in that respect. Same thing with penalties, right? You're one of the worst tackling teams last year and one of the most penalized. You should, that's, you should have been in deep diving about how to solve those issues. Right now, 75th of 77, according to PFF. <laughs> yeah, like, so that's a long period of time. The, the, the bump and run thing on the, on the wide receivers on the outside, and I agree with you, during the, during the year we've talked about how you don't have Colin Johnson, you're not going to have Devin Duvernay, you need to scheme these guys open. But I, I still think they believe at practice, practicing you kind of a false perception. If you're a bad coach and your guys are a bad football team, practice can give you a false perception as a coach of, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we got we got our product right, right. I think he because they they, they when you got TCU that played bump and run and TCU is probably one of the better secondaries in the country. Played bump and run and played snug coverage. Their corners really tight. I mean, play like five or six yards off the wide receivers and shuffle out. When they play that on Texas and Texas was almost shocked by it, and they they really I think they only had what, three receptions when they threw through the wide receivers on the outside against TCU corners and that type of coverage. That should have been a red alert to Tom Harmon. All right, we got to adjust. All right, guys. So next week, 
if somebody if Oklahoma tries to do that, we'll have an adjustment. That's that, you should be able to adjust on the fly to that. Um, because you just found out, okay, damn, my my wide receivers can't get off bump and run coverage. It's I didn't know that. Disrupt the rhythm of the yeah, offense. Yeah, okay, you know what? Then let's let's figure out something else. Let's scheme them open. Let's put our put our receivers inside. Let's put them in bunch formations with starburst releases. Let's put them on the move and motion, all that kind of thing. Uh, and against Oklahoma, they actually played bump and run coverage more than TCU did against Texas, and were just as effective. So to me, it's like, so what the hell did you do? Andre Coleman yeah. in practice then. What the hell did you do after getting dominated by TCU's corners? What did y'all do all week? Because they didn't get any better. Yeah. So that to me is more of adjustments. Things over a long period of time to me, that's when I'll give you the, the self-scouting stuff. That's you know. And now if, it, if the bump and run thing continues over three, four weeks, now you're bad at self-scouting. Because now you can't even fix a systemic problem that you found out about in week, what, two? Or week three. Hell, because Texas Tech actually did a little bit too, but they were unsuccessful because yeah. they're a bad t- defense. Yeah, I'm talking about self-scouting from the standpoint of not understanding what your personnel can do. Like we talked about it last week, like the, the fade ball to Joshua Moore where you're like – ever, like ever since Joshua Moore stepped foot on campus, Tom Hermans talked about his weight and physicality, and he needed to fix those things. He does some things well, but Agreed. he needs to fix those things. So why are you going to ask your wide receiver who, again, I, I love Joshua Moore as a player, but – He's 180 pounds soaking wet with two bricks in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Why are you going to ask him to go body up a, a corner on a fade ball? To me, that's you know that's evaluation, mm-hmm. right? It's that's not, just, that's not just, knowing your person. That's just straight up evaluation. Though. You listen, that's evaluating a, t- a receiver skill set. So you evaluate his skill set and you decide fade ball. <laughs> that's bad. Eva- so my, my, I, I, yeah, I know I'm being specific ball, about it because it's just, just football to all To times. me, that's evaluation, and it's di- and, and and that means you're bad at evaluating your talents you're bringing in, which will actually, in my opinion, explains why you're bad at developing talent. Because you can't even evaluate the talent to be able to go, this guy does this well. All right, let's put him in this position. We need to bring up the Malcolm Epps conversation from last you know what year. I mean? yeah. So uh, he, he's bad at evaluation. He's bad at adjustments. Go look at. The record when they're down at halftime or down going into oh, the fourth I've, quarter. I've got some right? some numbers. So you're here bad at adjustments real time. You're bad at evaluation. You're bad at self scouting for the long term. What the hell are you good at at this point? Your team is really they're heavily penalized. Tackling is really bad. You missed 44 tackles in the last three weeks. I gotta say, other than Sam Ellinger, I'm not sure what this team is good at. And I know they're like, well, the offense is good. No. no. The Sam Ellinger is good. There's three. Yeah. There's I don't know three, the offense is good. Sam Ellinger is good. There's three players. There's three players. Joseph Osai is good. With. That's it. Sam yes. Ellinger, Joseph Osai, Sam Cosme. Because I disagree. I disagreed with Tom Herman when he came out after the Oklahoma game and said, "Well, nobody played good on the offensive line." No, I went back and and watched the game twice. You've got one really good player at left tackle, and four guys who did a terrible job. That's that's what my eyes saw. It's even worse. Because that means you got a you got a foundational player. You got <laughs> yeah. right. You have some a piece to build the offensive line around, and you're still bad, awful at run blocking and pass and Rod, blocking. Rod, I've charted all, all the all the sacks, terrible, all the sacks they've given up. It's terrible, man. All the sacks they've given up in Big Twelve play. All of them are either. Do you realize that you realize against Oklahoma, they gave up a sack on a four man pressure against a seven man protection. Wow. So we had three men. I, like I had to watch it. Like I seriously re. I seriously watched wow. like ten times. They, they ended up like somebody. I think it was Nick Benito. I think was a spy on that play. So it ends up being kind of a five man rush. It's an, an initial four man rush with a spy. But you had a seven man protection, and your quarterback still got sacked. Wow. Wow. 
And that was yeah. an adjustment whenever in the second half he was using Ben Nito the way he was. And yeah, because you're right, he wasn't early. No, it yeah. wasn't, and that's just a good adjustment. It's like and the, that's, o- the only time Texas had success offensively was that stretch in the fourth quarter with Alex Grinch for, I don't know, for some reason, I guess, brain farted and decided not to spy Sam Ellinger all of a sudden in two-minute situations, and Texas went through the Oklahoma defense like crap through a goose. They just went up and down the field. But, Rod, can you give me those numbers on bump and run coverage real quick just so we can wrap up the conversation about oh, the wide receivers? Yeah. Sure. Um, they're depressing, but I'll give them to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, just, I was just curious how often the, um, Texas was facing bump and run coverage and how often they were beating it. So last two weeks against Oklahoma and TCU, um, they used bump and run technique at the line of scrimmage to disrupt Texas' passing game. They both utilized press technique with at least one DB, because sometimes it was one DB, sometimes it was both of the corners on the outside, over 40% of the time. Oklahoma was around 46%, and TCU was around 42%. Uh, Texas wide receivers in the last two weeks, when facing bump and run coverage and press technique, um, they have two receptions for 15 yards when targeting a primary defender using that technique. Not good. (laughs) Yeah, and those two receptions, I think Jared Wiley's one, and then Jordan Whittington had like a little drag route or something. And Jared Wiley makes sense because he's big and he can big body those guys on the outside. But that's and Jordan, and Jordan Whittington, who's now, gets. who's now dealing with the, the yeah. abdominal injury, and yeah. based on our report, Horns twenty four seven, we'll see what happens throughout the week. But it looks like he's not going to be available. available for the Baylor game. Yeah. So, um, Rod, you talk about adjustments, and nowhere are adjustments more evident for a coaching staff than the third quarter. You got a chance to really reset it. Oh, go yes. to halftime. Very true. And come out in the third quarter. And in three Big 12 games, this offense, this team, has just been uh, abysmal doesn't even begin to describe how bad they've been in the third quarter. I mean, I'm just going to run down the numbers, and I'll let you guys discuss it. Uh, Texas has been outscored in the third quarter, and, and I'm, I've, in a lot of my research, I'm throwing the UTEP game out. I'm not even kidding. I agree. It's diluting the yep. sample. I agree. Uh, Texas in three Big 12 games, been outscored in the third quarter 38-14. You're being outgained 370-124. to Mm-hmm. Offensive yards per play, 3.4. Yards per play allowed, 5.8. Texas on third down in the third quarter, 1 for 10. Opponents on third down, 7 for 13. Hmm. Matt, this is one I know you look at play differential. Texas total plays in the third quarter in three Big 12 games, 36. Opponent total plays in those three third quarters, 64. (laughs) Uh, Texas does have 55 rushing yards. They're averaging five yards per carry, but they've only run the ball. 11 times. How much did Sam I wanted to? One, for those 55 yards, uh, Sam Elliott had a 36-yard carry against TCU. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was his longest of his career, too, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, opponent rushing yards, 151. You're uh, giving up 4.4 yards per carry. That means Texas in the third quarter in Big 12 play, guys, has faced 44 rushing attempts. Uh, non, non-scoring drives for Texas. I've counted eight. You had an interception, five three and outs, seven punts, one scoring drive. That was a touchdown drive against TCU. Opponent non-scoring drives. Uh, I've counted six. You had a fumble, three three and outs, four punts, and a missed field goal. Uh, opponent scoring drives in Big 12 play, though, uh, five. Uh, three touchdown drives and two field goal drives. The three touchdown drives were all in the Oklahoma game. Penalty penalties in, in the rod third yeah. quarter. This is three Mind three quarters blowing. three quarters penalties for Texas seven nine penalties for eighty eight yards opponent penalties seven for fifty six Oklahoma didn't have a single penalty in the third quarter Texas has six first downs those three opponents twenty three first downs so you aren't just losing the third quarter you're getting 
boat race dominated old rod what do you say old testament style butt whooping in the third quarter and that's when your adjustments that's when your prowess as a coaching staff is supposed to shine through Mm -hmm. and you're being you're just being obliterated you're you're losing games because you're so bad in the third quarter and that's why you've been in all those holes that Sam has had to dig out of in the fourth quarter just to be able to be just barely even by the end of the game. And I'm glad you brought that that's up, Matt, because I've got Sam Ellinger's numbers in terms of those quarter splits in Big 12 play. You ready for this? Sam Ellinger in the third quarter in Big 12 play, 12 for 25, which is not good, one interception, one touchdown, 84 yards, three carries for 40 yards. Like we talked about, that 36-yarder against TCU is kind of diluting the sample. The lack of adjustment. You have 25 pass attempts, 84 yards. That's about as bad as you can find yeah. for Sam Ellinger anywhere ever. But go to the fourth quarter. And this is why, you know, this is why I'm not – you can fault Sam Ellinger, but Sam Ellinger is not the reason this team no. has lost two games. Yeah, and I would say you can't fault Sam I didn't. I'm not, <laughs> counting, I'm not counting the over, the overtime against Texas Tech or the four overtimes against Oklahoma. This is just Sam Ellinger in the fourth quarter. 25 of 28, five touchdowns, one interception. That was the fade ball to Joshua Moore in the OU game. Okay. 287 yards, 13 carries for 98 yards. Damn. Great numbers. Yeah. Sam Ellinger, you're so bad in the third quarter. Sam Ellinger basically has to go be Superman for you to be in the game late. Missed the fourth quarter. And that's usually when they start picking up the tempo of the offense. Mm-hmm. They're behind, so they're like, you know what, it's going two-minute mode. And been, exactly. they just put the ball they put the ball in his hands. They stop running the ball because they can't run the ball, and there's no point in it because it's late and you're down double digits or something like that. Yep. And basically the running game is Sam scrambling. Sam drops back. There's nobody open. Very serviceable, or pressure, easy. Right? And think about and this is why it happened in the Oklahoma game. You go look at the, the, the inability of the wide receivers to get off bump and run coverage. The inability to run the ball, the pass protection issues, and essentially Sam Ellinger is just depending on his H wide receivers to help him out mm-hmm. or whoever they got in the slot usually to get open, and and he scrambles. That's what happened. The Oklahoma game was just him dropping back, nobody's open. I'm gonna scramble. Can I give you some That's more it. some more numbers, Rod, to oh, show you how Sam, how much Sam Ellinger is the identity of this offense? Like, there's no question. What is the identity of the offense? It's Sam Ellinger. It's Sam Ellinger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Sam Ellinger show. It's reverted back to 2017. Th- this is according. <laughs> this is according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, Texas and Pro Football Focus charts it differently. They don't count. They just count like run plays, design quarterback runs, handoffs to running backs. They don't count sacks for rushing numbers. Okay. So Texas, according to Pro Football Focus, 132 carries. 724 yards, seven touchdowns, 22 first downs. That's the run game. Mm. But of those numbers, Rod, this is Sam Ellinger on scrambles. Scrambles alone. This season. Okay. Okay? And keep in mind, Sam only had three carries in the UTEP game, so all this is pretty much going to be the three Big 12 games. Sam Ellinger on scrambles this year, 18 carries, 195 yards, Two touchdowns, nine first downs. When you take Sam Ellinger's scrambles, crazy. You take Sam Ellinger's scrambles out of the run game numbers, according to Pro Football Focus. Your yards per carry goes from five and a half to four point six, almost a yard less per carry. When you take out Sam Ellinger's scrambles, yeah, he is your. He's offense. a running game. You've regressed back to 2017, yeah. where your offense is Sam Ellinger. Just, just put it in Eleven's hands and, yeah. and hope for the best. That's. I mean, that's a, that may be the biggest indictment of Tom Herman right now is yeah. that. You brought in your situation. I know they had the truncated offseason, all that kind of stuff. But man, you you failed Sam Ellinger. We did not maximize it. Now we just got Sam going out there playing with heart and playing with you know 
He's just he's just letting him hang <laughs> out mm-hmm. there. That's what he's doing. I mean, in the fourth quarter, it's pretty much him just reverting back to putting the team on his shoulders. And it shouldn't be that. He needs help, and he's not getting any help. Sorry, guys. I, I told the guys before the show yeah. I went just nuts on uh, the legal pad over the weekend, so I'll flip it around. Rod, Sam Ellinger's played five games against Oklahoma. He was one and four, and he probably just had his last shot at Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, he's done with him. But these are the this yeah. is Sam Ellinger's production in five games against Oklahoma. It's unbelievable. Completing 60.7% of his passes, so basically your 61% completion rate. Averaging wow. over 287 passing yards per game. Seven touchdowns, three interceptions. He's at uh, 323 rushing yards, 3.2 per carry. And that's including the sack numbers, by the way, which Mm -hmm. I'll get to those in a minute. Uh, Averaging 64.6 rush yards per game in those five games. 12 rushing touchdowns. Sam Ellinger has 12 rushing touchdowns in five career games against Oklahoma. (laughs) And then you you take into consideration that in, in those five games, he's been sacked a total of 21 times. And the net lost yardage is 136 yards. He's lost on those 21 sacks. If it if it was if it wasn't for L.J. Humphrey and Colin Johnson yeah. in the 2018 yeah. game, Sam would be 0 for against Oklahoma, and have all these great numbers would have nothing to show for it. And strangely enough, you could argue he is the most hated Texas quarterback in the Texas OU rivalry of terms of the Oklahoma side. They hate him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They hate him. They hate him. They really do. They, yeah. And I don't really – I'm with you. He's one in four, so I don't get the hatred. But Baker Mayfield and that him had their feud, and they have a feud going back to high school. Then you got the Kyler Murray thing. Him and Kyler and Mayfield and I just after think they, a loss. Yeah, and was... I think they've seen him so much, just like you said. And he's been so effective against them. Like, he really has. He's lit him up pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't got the win, but I just think all of those things, it <laughs> – it's strange now. I, I believe that they hate him probably more than they've hated any quarterback in the Texas OU rivalry in the history of it. And that's strange to say because there's been V.Y., but there's yep. been, you know, Peter Gardere, but they didn't hate. He, Peter Gardere didn't get the vitriol and the hatred that Sam does. Nope. You know and it I mean? wasn't even like Case or Colt McCoy. They never even they probably never respected Colt, Colt until like t- 2009, and then it was already over. But you're yeah. right. Sam is that guy. They didn't hate Colt that, that much either. No. They didn't hate Colt the way they hate Sam. I remember Colt being oh, there. They didn't hate him said. like that. I agree They fully. respected Colt more. Yeah. Oh, no. I didn't even think they respected him until he beat him in 08. It took him like four That's years before they even respected him, which is crazy. But, yeah, just to round off your Sam numbers, too, another crazy thing, yards after contact, 148 of his 294 he's got after contact. So we're talking about most quarterbacks go down at contact when you're running out there against yeah. other athletes. It's not as if you get more than half your yards after contact. Yeah. That's yeah. very impressive. He's a, he, man, he's a unique weapon. He really is. And they wasted him. Yeah. Pretty I mean. Much. It's, <laughs> not wasted, but they, he, didn't he, did not, he, he, he did not meet his expectations, and he didn't hit the ceiling that he could have under right. a different offense. Tom Herman failed to do the one objective that we said he had for this offense going into the season. Can you maximize Sam Ellinger? He did not. No. He did not. Because as good as the numbers are, I think we, we, we're on agree. If you grade Sam the last three games, he's probably a B minus. Mm-hmm. Except in the clutch time. Except in the fourth Except quarter, where you time. can't you can't argue you no, can't clutch, argue with those numbers. Yeah, clutch time. He's but been, overall the overall body of work. He's probably a B minus. Yeah, a C plus. If no, you're he a hasn't been grader. great no. in that Oklahoma game, he had eleven deep passes of twenty yards or more. He connected on zero of them. Yeah, a couple of them were he, open he, that he just missed. He on just too. missed guys. He 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 went three of seventeen with two interceptions. 
nine quarterback like incompletions, basically his his fault incompletions, and a two point two passer rating on throws ten or more yards downfield. He was not very effective, mm-hmm. but he had seven total runs of ten or more yards, and six of those seven came in the final five and a half minutes in the fourth quarter in overtime. Understands the five, situation. Uh, and five, they were all scrambles. Five of those six were scrambles. He was just he's so comfortable it was backyard out there. football, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's been times when maybe a throw's been errant, but his decision making process and understanding what the defense is doing against him, and then being able to diagnose like his recognition in those situations mm-hmm. to know when to vacate and just go and take what he needs, and it's able to. I mean, it's the ultimate threat in college football, which is why it's so frustrating as a fan because you wait to get a guy like this. So you can have a chance to win a championship, and it's got to be even more frustrating for a kid like Sam, who's played so well, but still never really even came close to that point. Rod, if I'm charting this right, and I'm kind of doing this on the fly, I believe if I'm if I'm looking at it right, uh, Texas has 17 explosive runs this year, okay. runs of 10 yards or more. Sam Ellinger's got 11 of them. Wow, makes sense. That's you can count one crazy. Rojo. I remember like one Damn. Keontae. One yeah. Bijan. Keontae Ingram had a couple 10 yards in that uh, that Texas Tech game. There you go. That's unbelievable. It's, Sam, it's the Sam Ellinger show. Yeah. Once again, unfortunately yeah. for Sam, because <laughs> I think it, 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 it his freshman year, this is not a big deal for Sam to have the offense have to depend on him this much. Um, but now in his senior year, I'm with you. This is troubling because now you should know his strengths and weaknesses. You know what he's good at. And there's not much he really can't do. And for him to be struggling – with the intermediate passing game and the short passing game, he, I hate to say it, he's regressing. But so Rod, as we let as, uh, Sam regress. It's crazy. Keeping with the Sam Ellinger theme and the receiver theme, as we look to the Baylor game, you know what Baylor's going to do. I mean, they're smart they, bump and run. They, they, they Dave <laughs> defense. Like when Dave Aranda was at LSU, that that's all they did. LSU still does. Like you're you're mm-hmm. going to play man coverage, and and if if I'm Dave Aranda, there's nothing about this Texas wide receiver core. That leads me to believe why we can't. Why can't our guys go do that? If Oklahoma can play bump and run coverage against you, then I ain't gonna mm-hmm. lie. I'm not Oklahoma's like. I mean, anybody can because Oklahoma doesn't have elite DBs on the outside and twists and stunts. Listen, you bump and run and you just run lots of twists and stunts. That's what you do against Texas. That's how you get to Texas. That's how you put Sam on the brink mm-hmm. of a collapse on every, in every game. Now he comes back in the fourth quarter every time, but he often reaches that brink. He has a bad third quarter or you know a slow. A few series, and that's because usually the offensive line ends up breaking down, and his wide receivers can't get open. And this offense on third down, like it is, it is imperative for this offense to stay on schedule because uh, oh, on yeah. third down this year, right? I chart on third downs. Texas, when they're nine plus on third down, they're four for twenty three. But the fact that you've had twenty three situations through three conference games where you're in third and nine or longer, and it's and how, what'd you say? What's the success rate? What's the percentage? Four for 23 on third Two of those came in a TCU game, if I'm not mistaken. Jared Jared Wiley, 52-yard pass. That was like a third. And then he had a third and and ten. Yeah, He had two of those, remember? So against Gary Patterson's defense, which is usually very unlikely that you'll get third and 20-something. So that's crazy. It should be worse than that. You basically yeah. had to break uh, a Jacob Wiley out of like the little glass case. Jared like Wiley. just it was yeah. like oh yo Jared Wiley, but yeah. it was like you basically had no respect for him. He was just <sighs> running wide open. But the numbers are just. Then it's back to personnel though, Rod. Like I get Cade Brewers put in his time in the program, but man, I know. I, I know what my eyes tell me. I know. <laughs> my eyes tell me if you're going to roll with one primary tight end, it should probably be the guy that's made plays. 
Well, you you just said you were going to reward production. That's what you said. Well, and that's the main thing when you look at this situation. It's <laughs> this like it. you got the one that maybe has upside, more volatility, maybe could also have some deficiencies, but there's upside. And it's not an insult to a player that if you're just a good, solid tight end, it's like, well, yeah, but you're really going to lock up a lot of your defense or your offense and the capabilities mm-hmm. that are there. And then if there's no upside, it's limiting your ceiling. So if you're sort of locking up, up other positions and making them possibly less volatile and less explosive by only playing something that you feel more comfortable with but has less upside and just because of consistency it really makes me wonder about what is motivating these decisions whenever you aren't going after and taking the inherent risks needed in those situations that might reward them yeah we we talked about it last week the rotations and substitutions don't make don't make a whole lot of sense uh, but Rod, real quick before we get out of here on the Baylor game, you know, like I said, if if, if I'm Dave Aranda, there's nothing that leads me to leave. I can't just go in there with my corners and play bump and run, especially with no Jordan Whittington. Oof. We'll see if Jake Smith is going to play. I mean, you take those two. If those two guys are out of the equation, well, then yeah, I don't want to. I'm pressing up all day if I'm Baylor. That man, if those two guys can't play. I that that's a doomsday scenario for that yep. offense because you because you funneled everything through that position, and if that position's injured, you're screwed. Boom. And you're that's only an indictment of your own self. Like Josh, that can only Josh blame you for more Brendan Schooler who don't give you in the short passing game and the quick game near what Whittington One well, Schooler's Smith the one that yeah. they used in that role earlier this year when both weren't on the field and but I mean that can work against UTEP. I don't know if that's going to work against other teams. And it worked against Texas, Prove me wrong Schooler that'd be awesome. It worked against Texas Tech but uh, it, yeah it's yeah. true different different yeah. defense. Um Brad so, I, yeah. I ask you this as, as we get out of here and give you the final shot cuz Matt you got the PFF missed tackle numbers right I know you're really harsh when you grade missed tackles and really do that intensively. Uh is this is there if you're a Texas fan, as bad as the tackling has been, is there any hope that that can get to the point where you're at least a now I don't want to say a good tackling team, at least a competent tackling team. Get it to single digits right now. That's I think you got you gotta have goal even even with the penalty too, right? I think just get them to single digits. You can just get you've had double digit penalties and double digit missed tackles the last three weeks. Get it to single digits. And I know that's baby steps, right? Get it to eight. If you if, honestly if you, you get you get it to single digits, you'll probably only have one loss right now this year. Yeah. Instead of two losses. And who knows, you may be four and oh, depending on the situation. That's how I think that's how fragile it is. So I got forty four missed tackles. Like I said, I Matt, you know what pro football folks I only is? Yeah. I, I only have them overall seventy fifth of seventy seven in their okay. grading system. I don't have the exact numbers okay. that they have though. Seventy fifth out how many? Seventy seven. <laughs> Yes, so they're pretty bad. Yes, as bad as it gets. And you know who's? Oh, yeah, yeah, but you know what? What's the truth here? It's an epidemic because you know who's number seventy-seven? Who? North Carolina. Oh, tackling really is a problem. Tackling that. really is a problem in America. It's an epidemic in America. Tackling. <laughs> it is. See, I told you that is oh, awesome. But Rod, do you know where missed tackles Oddly, are really? Florida's between the two at seventy-six. Do you know okay. where, and Florida's been brutal on defense. Wow, this year. that's awesome. Uh, yeah, Rod, Brown. you know where the missed tackle numbers really show up? It shows up when you're trying to stop the run because yeah. Texas has given up 16 explosive runs this year. Uh, by the way, somebody can take that explosive runs comment and splice <laughs> that together and make me say something vile, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> Texas has allowed 16 runs that are explosive in nature, but in, in Big 12 play, 
they faced 129 rushing attempts. So 63.3% of the rushing yards you've given up in Big 12 play are only coming on 12.4% of the rushing attempts you've faced. So that Chunky means that means team. you're you're yeah. hol, you're holding up, you're holding up, but then, you're but teams are just sticking with the run, knowing hey, if we if we continue to pound Texas at some point, they they won't fit a gap right, they'll miss, they'll a, miss tackle a tackle, and we'll pop one. So linebackers are attacking; they're just attacking the linebackers. They know they at one point those linebackers are going to miss, they're going to miss an assignment, they're miss a fit, they're gonna miss a fit. they got to take on the block with the wrong shoulder, whatever it is, and that's when you'll pop it. They know. That's, that's am I am I wrong? Because Rod, when I watched the Oklahoma game, that was my thought. Like your your defensive line continues to play well. Yeah. You're just so bad at the second level right now that it, that's where most of your missed tackles are on defense. Your defensive yeah. line's like Sam Ellinger. Your defensive line basically has to be perfect, pretty much. And you got one of the best players in the country in your D line, Joseph Asai, and it's still you're still missing a lot of tackles. It's yeah. it's, it's it's pretty yeah it's. It's, it's bummer with that guy too this season. It's like, up, oh, he's really good. Don't get many of those. You don't get many. And Chris Ash, I know he's supposed to be, um, you know, kind of a tackling, you know, expert. It's, it's, it doesn't look like these guys are absorbing the lessons they learned because I still see diving. I still see guys just trying to shoulder tackle guys. I see a lot of bad some people technique. don't no break bad up. habits for life. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there there's some, some stuff the there's stuff. some stuff injury wise with this team that I think you can very much put on strength and conditioning. You guys don't. I mean, we talked about a lot. Anytime you have soft tissue injuries, mm-hmm. that to me is a strength conditioning issue. If you want to stop having so many so many shoulder injuries, stop just throwing shoulders into guys when you tackle. Yeah. Stop trying to be like the ultimate warrior and like shoulder block takedown somebody in the middle of the ring. Just wrap up and make a tackle. Wrap up and make a tackle. Yeah, there isn't one player though that I wouldn't expect more to have a shoulder brace than BJ Foster with the way he plays. Though it's like literally that dude comes in. He's it makes famine. total sense. He's that. he's going with or he's going to knock you the out. Like that yes. is BJ Foster in a nutshell. You know oh, 100%. At this point, take it. I'll take it. <laughs> he reminds, he, BJ he, Foster, he did knock out Overshown on that one was long like, like, run. He might knock he might knock out his old man friendly fire but he's going to knock somebody out. B, B, BJ Foster is like <laughs> he's, he's your writer, definitely not this kind of, but like I think of like old school Big Twelve DBs like he's not this kind of player yet, but like Roy Williams at OU or like Dwayne Slay at Texas Tech, where uh, it's going to be one or the other. It's either going to be a missed yeah. tackle or somebody might be going to the hospital. I don't know which one it is. It might but. be yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it is. Well, I've watched him. And he led the team in tackles versus Oklahoma. Thirteen tackles. Man, that, like, well. like, that's that's the thing with BJ Foster. Like the play he made on Charleston Rambo at the goal line, where he yeah. read that rub concept great, great and broke on play. it. If he if if you could bottle that, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. bottle that. harness it, man. He's got it. He's got, it's, it, it's in him. Yes. It is oh, in oh, him, yeah. man. No you see it's it bursting out. It of flashes, him. and then you're like, and then he'll have another play where he'll just you know. He'll just whiff. So I, That's another I think guy he needs I really like more, on this team. He needs more reps. He just needs to play. I think he, he'll get better when he plays more. I just think he's been starved for reps because think about last year, he had a hard time trying to fit him in, and even mm-hmm. this year they've had a hard time trying to fit him yeah, in. And he was hurt well, most of the year and last year. He was hurt, year, yeah. He just needs reps, man. He'll get better. Just like Overshawn. Overshawn is getting better. Yeah, he is. He's oh, just, it's, going, it's, just a, it's a process. He's just started playing linebacker. And even Chris Ash said it's – I, I, listen, he's he's our best he's our best choice basically at linebacker, but we know he's gonna have growing pains, and he's gonna have growing pains all year long because he just started playing the position. Yeah, and that dude, uh, he was out there, I believe, all ninety two snaps against Oklahoma. Like he they played, he doesn't leave. They need because he, he can cover too. It's amazing well, against Oklahoma when they have those fullbacks and tight ends out there. You can just put Overshawn out there, and you, at least you don't lose too much. And think about cover. that though, what you ask him to do, how much ground he covers, and he does it every he's single be play, special, undersized man. at that position. Yeah, he's gonna be real good. He's gonna be special. The problem at linebacker, though, guys, it goes back to 
Chris Ash knew when he took this job, you were very, very deficient at that middle linebacker position. And yeah. you're mar- you have no margin for error now because of the Deli Adeaway injury. At least you might have been able to. Like, we never got the competition we thought we were nope. going to get with Adeaway and Jawan Mitchell because Adeaway was hurt most mm-hmm. of camp. And now he's probably done for the year after the shoulder surgery. You're right. So you got to ride with Jawan Mitchell. And. You know, I think the TCU game is a perfect example of like when it can really go bad because Jawan Mitchell gets called for targeting oh. and a day away gets hurt. You you have no choice but to just say Court Jaquis, best of luck, young man. Yeah. And, and Court Jaquis, I would say Court Jaquis got good instincts. He just he's, doesn't. He can't make all the plays physically. Yes, sideline sideline, but he's got great instincts. Yeah, in, a, in the phone booth, he makes those plays. In it's, the phone booth, but the Big 12 isn't playing. Put him in 1995. He's 1997, he'd be all Big 12. <laughs> I can't fault I can't fault Court Jake was for, you know, just look, he's he's giving you everything he's got. Yes, he but is. at some point, Rod, like you said, the the deficiencies are going to are gonna be there. He was yeah. a walk-on at one point. I think, yeah. He's still, he's one of, the, the problem is, and also it's a good thing, he's one of your best linebackers. It's yes. good and a bad. That's an thing. indictment of it's, where you're it's, at. It's good for the walk-on program and, it, and showing where it is, but it's bad for your overall you, talent. You guys, watch, you guys watched uh, West Virginia's yeah. defense at all this year? And seen, and seen Tony Fields. Is he killing it? Yeah. How did you not get him or the the brother Schooler? Uh, I was yeah. told. I was told they didn't want Colin Schooler. I'm not. Beggars can't be choosers. You, know, right <laughs> you mean you didn't want him? What you talking we got about? Man? Jacquez. You should have took everything at linebacker. That's crazy to me. Yep. We'll we'll see what happens with uh, throughout the week with the size of Texas deal with Tom Herman's future and oh Monday press conference that'll be interesting. If we get to Saturday and there is a football game played, hopefully there is because man we we, th- we this, this program this program needs a win. Rod, they need it like the desert needs rain. Man, ain't no guarantee they're gonna get a win. Yep, the line's well, going they, down they, in both directions. They need an opportunity for a win. <laughs> yes, true. Yeah, Texas has lost two points on the betting line. Baylor's mm-hmm. lost a point. Overall, the games went down by three. Texas still favored by ten and a half, but it's going in Baylor's favor, and the over/unders coming down. So they're saying less points, mm-hmm. and Baylor's going to be scoring more. So right now, the bookie's got it at a thirty-six point five to twenty-six. If you were to go and play before we before we get out of here, let me give you the number one more time: Rough, Tom Herman in Big Twelve play. As a six-pointer more favorite, it's four nine and one against the spread with two outright losses. Not great. Not good. Not not good. Not good. Nope. <laughs> not good. Especially after the tumultuous week, that's going to be tough. pretty. Yeah. All right, Matt. Thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome, Rod. Be appreciate the time and the knowledge. <sighs> anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019 AM twelve sixty streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod be on the triple option each and every weekday from three to seven. Seamus Buck. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from ten to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows. It's all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to like us and leave us a review anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Horns twenty four seven podcast. Apple Play, Apple Play, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, just search Horns 24-7 Podcast to get us, flagship, and state of recruiting. And don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.